What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. You know, I think we've all lived long enough to know our ways are not God's ways. I think we get that, but I don't think we always understand it. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is an honor to welcome you on this leadership journey. It is such a blessing to get to do it with you here on the Lynch with a Leader podcast. We are at episode 170, and I can't think of a better guest to help us in our journeys, to help us be those leaders that God created us to be in the spaces and places he's put us than Richard Blackaby. If you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you know what an impact Dr. Blackaby and his organization have made in my journey and really this whole spiritual leadership dynamic that we work with on each and every podcast all stems from a weekend that I got to spend with Richard Blackaby and his amazing team at uh, Blackaby. And I tell you what, man, they are phenomenal. His book, Spiritual Leadership, is a classic. Of course, all of you know his dad, Henry Blackaby, from Experiencing God. But Richard Blackaby has written some classics. But I think this one might be his best work yet, The Ways of God. You know, as you look back to the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation, you learn a lot about the ways that God works, the ways that God uses people, and that's what we're going to unpack on this episode. So I don't know where you're at today, but I want you to buckle up for a good one because it's going to be. So I want you to listen in to my conversation with the one and only and one of my favorite leadership guys out in the world, Richard Blackaby. Well, congratulations, Mr. Blackaby, on your third time on the podcast. You're getting up there in the in the repeat guest category. <laughs> well, enough practice. I'll actually get it right one of these times. <laughs> you just keep writing books. That's the amazing thing. And this one is a good one, The Ways of God. What inspired you to go, I want to unpack all the ways that I have seen and chronicled through scripture and even in my own life that God moves. Well, you know, it's, it's one of those things I learned first from my dad. He wrote uh, this book years ago and um, he really wanted me to update it 20 some years later, 23 years later. But, and so I just did a complete overhaul on it. But uh, you know, I think what my dad noticed, what I've noticed is there's a lot of, my, my dad would say, there's a lot of Christians who've been going to church for years, but are really disoriented to God. They, they, they go to church, they sing some songs, they hear a sermon, but they really don't know God and they don't know how he, how he does things. And so we, because we, we assume God's going to do things just the way we would do them then we keep getting disappointed and confused when he doesn't act the way we think he should. We pray and assume that he wants the same things we want, that you know he's, he's going to do things the way we think he ought to do them. And then repeatedly he doesn't, and we start to get disillusioned and wonder, well, why even pray? He never gives me what I ask, and I keep hoping for this, and he never does that. 
and you and you realize well fundamentally it's because we just are not familiar with his ways you know in the world that we live in i mean i think i think we would all agree our society is becoming more secular and this book 20 years ago would have been right but this book in the current season of life in 2023 that we're living in is really on point what are the biggest differences between the ways of God and the ways of man as the average American? Where's the dichotomy of, of how God works and how our world works? What would you say? Well, certainly the world is very self-centered. Uh, it's about us. It's about what we feel. It's what we want, what we think. Uh, it, 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 when you do things the world's way, it, it uh, builds you up. It it puts you on center stage, um, and of course, when you do things God's way, He He gets on center stage. Uh, you know, God's way is a way of humility. Uh, God says the last will be first. The servant is the greatest. Uh, the world says no. You you want people to serve you. You want the the limelight. You want to be the the person that other people serve. And so, you know, you, we, we marinate in the ways of the world all the time. We've, yeah. that's what we've grown up with. We, we don't even, it's kind of like asking a fish what it's like to be in water. It's like, what do you mean that's water? Right. That's, that's all I know. It's, that's my world. And and we swim around in the ways of the world. We're bombarded by it all the time. And so when, you know, all of a sudden God, we start relating to a person who doesn't function that way. Uh, we're, we, we can't get our head around that. Uh, we we just assume, a, you know, we he, heavenly father is going to be like our earthly father, mm. and uh, he's going to value the same. If he wants to make us happy, he wants to fulfill all of our dreams and aspirations, and because that's what all the advertisers say, that's what the world and all these companies that want us to buy their products say, and um, and so it's so foreign to us. We we've never really related to someone like God before, and um, and so all the stuff that we've ever assumed and experience before you can kind of have to put that aside and say this is an entirely different kind of relationship and you know you've been in leadership a really really long time how do you protect yourself from the ways of the world infiltrating how you lead as a christ follower you're somebody who takes this serious you want to you want to make a difference for the lord how do you do that in the midst of the culture like very very much like daniel how do you survive in Babylon? What would you say? Uh, yeah, well, you know, and even even your trusted friends uh, and family will be telling you things that are really come from the world. They mean well, but they'll say, you know, you you deserve this. You you're you you should have that, and uh, people shouldn't treat you that way, and you shouldn't put up with that. And um, you know, as a leader, it's uh, you, you just like I. I mean, I give you a kind of a personal example. Um, I've got some people around me, uh, some good friends and colleagues that I really uh, ask them to just, if you see the world creeping in me, if you start hearing me talking like the world, not like Jesus, uh, you need to call me out. Let's, let's, let's get on that right away. And, uh, you know, one interesting thing, and I don't want to, I don't want to make this sound critical of other people, but you know, I'm a public speaker. I, I travel all the time and, and speak and, uh, and I'll go uh, to conference centers and things and speak. And you know what's interesting to me? I hear this over and over again. And I'll I'll just tell you, I learned it from my dad. That's that's why I I guess why I do it. But it, it it's so funny to me. I'll be speaking at a conference, and then the hosts of the conference like 
like the the Billy Graham Cove or you know places like that that I go to regularly, uh, they'll just repeatedly say, "Well, Richard, you're just different than most of our speakers because most of our speakers they they come in, they speak, and and then during the closing prayer they're out of here. They don't stand around and talk to people. People can't approach them. They don't they don't hang out. And my dad, I mean, they'd be turning the lights off, and he'd mm. finally be leaving. And uh, and I'll I'll be standing in the auditorium an hour after I finish speaking. People are just waiting in line to talk to me, and and that's that's considered unusual. I mean, that people will, and I get it. I mean, I'm I'm spe- I know how tired you get yeah. after you've been speaking, but um, but I mean, churches will say that about pastors. You know, they they can't shake hands with their pastor afterward, yeah. or or speak a word to them. And you know, I I get some of the logistics of that, uh, but. I've just said to my, you know, Rick Fisher who travels with me a lot. I've just, we, we've we talked about that often and said, but, but Jesus would have hung around. Like Jesus fed the 5,000 and then sent his disciples on because they were tired and he hung around and sent everybody off, like said goodbye to everybody. <laughs> like, uh, I just think to be like Jesus, it means you're not on American Idol. You're not mm-hmm. a celebrity. This isn't a Broadway show. You're a servant. You're a spokesperson for God. Uh, and so you you it's a privilege to to represent God. You're you may be the speaker, but you're not a celebrity, you know, with fawning, uh, uh, adoring fans. You're these are fellow believers, all in a journey like you are, and you're there to encourage them. So it's not about you. You're not a big deal. Um, you're just happen to be God's chosen servant for this occasion. And but the world will tell you, hey, this is all about me. This is my conference, you know. Uh, I've got a best-selling book or whatever, and that's all the world. That's all the world creeping in. And so, as a leader, and and you'll have well-intentioned people saying that, you know, yeah. hey, you don't want to be shaking all those people's hands. You could get COVID. You could get yeah. something. You could pick something up, and you've just spoken. They they can buy your book if they want to know what you think. It's well, no, they've traveled a long way. They paid good money to come and hear me speak. And uh, the least I could do is greet them afterward. And so, you know, I, I mean, that's kind of my world, the kind of things I, I face. I mean, I can't, you know, have a sleepover there because people want to talk to me all night. At some point I've, I've listened to them and they also need to let me move on to someone else. But, uh, but it's that kind of thing as a leader, where as a Christian leader, you don't even realize it, but you're acting more like a rock star than a servant of God sometimes. How do you think we got there? Because most of those guys all started with the right intentions, right? Yeah. I mean, they started hanging out and doing the small things. How do you think they got to the point that they forgot the uh, why behind it and their love for the Lord and their love for people? What, what would you say? Yeah, well, I just think it's it's the same for all of us. We we just we're not good at detecting the ways of the world. It's uh it's just that's what everybody does. You know, hey, you're a public figure and that's public figures do this. Well, but I'm a Christian public figure. I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a servant of God public figure. I just because that's what Hollywood does, that's what a CEO of a Fortune 500 company does, uh, that doesn't mean that that's what we do. Uh, we we can be different. And I, I always heard that about my dad. They would say for a guy that was, you know, so well known and so uh, so famous, uh, you when you they would say you know when I talk to your dad, there literally could be five thousand, ten thousand people in the room, and I you felt like I was the only one in the room wow. with him. He just I he gave me his full attention, and I felt like I was important in his sight. And uh, and I would say, well, you were, 
uh, and um, but but the world will will start to you know I don't know what it is. Some people get on a platform behind a microphone, <laughs> and I don't know if they just have delusions of American Idol or something. But uh, but all of a sudden they transform and they're the way they're speaking, the way they're talking. Uh, it becomes about them and uh, they're a celebrity. And mm. so, I, but I don't, you know, that's my world. So I see that a lot, but, uh, but I, you know, at every level, the world creeps in and, and because our fellow believers aren't any better than we are at recognizing it, we don't even protect ourselves or point it out. We just, we accept that's just what everyone does. And and that's why I think it's a part of, part of why I wrote this book is to say, you know, we just need to take an audit of, because we don't, we probably don't even realize that we're doing some things the way the world does and instead of the way God does. And it's just so common to us. We haven't even noticed that it's crept into our repertoire. You know, and it's really interesting. You did such a great job in the book at the beginning, talking about doing things in a holy way and understanding the holiness of God. How could understanding the true holiness of who he is, how could that affect how we begin to live that out? Yeah, well, that's because that's the thing is like with all these, once you know the way God God does something, then we need to strive to do it the same way. And so yeah. if God is holy, he says, well, then, then you, I want you to be holy. Well, we're, we're good with God being holy. We're, we're, we're grateful that we, we always know what to expect from him. He's entirely consistent. Uh, he never varies. Uh, what he says is what he's going to do. Um, what he values is always the same and, uh, doesn't change with the times. Uh, we're, we're grateful he's that way, but then we don't, <laughs> we don't behave that way toward others, you know, there's, and it's sad, even pastors where, uh, you know, you never sure, you just hope you don't catch them in a bad day. If we had a bad Sunday last week, uh, well, I hate to be in that staff meeting on Tuesday, you know, and, uh, literally I've, I've heard stories like that where, we don't. We're not sure what to get from even our pastor. We don't know what what mood he'll be in today, and um, but but holy living means no. You do know what I'm going to be like because regardless of how bad my week has been, uh, I'm I want to be entirely consistent and um, and that means truthful too. You know, I I I joke with the pastors. Uh, if you're going to be holy, you know, it's funny. We're gonna we're gonna preach a sermon about uh, for a holy God, but but we basically plagiarized our sermon well, that we're going to preach about holiness mm. and, and, or we exaggerated uh, what happened um, or we, we kind of stretched the truth to make a better sermon all, all for the sake of honoring and serving a holy God. And yet mm. God would say, no, you don't honor me by being unholy. You, you honor me a holy God by being holy in how you preach, how you teach, how you conduct yourself. And so, yeah, whether it's holiness, whatever it is, if you serve a loving God, God always acts in love. Well, then guess what? How he wants you to respond to everybody, not just the people that love you and are kind to you, uh, but God's always loving. And uh, and so we, we've got to respond the same way. Do you think that that's why we lack power sometimes? Because we are we're sort of one foot in the world, one foot in the Lord, and we wonder why he his power doesn't flow through us in leadership and in speaking. Do you think yeah. that's part of it sometimes? Oh, I, yeah, I think for sure. And uh, you know, I've I've said often with God, what you do is very important, but how you do it is just as important. Mm -hmm. And it is it's very possible to do the right thing but do it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so you can. 
you know, and I've just seen this many, many times. I mean, you can preach a sermon, that's a good thing, but you can preach it filled with pride and where it's all about you more than about God. And God was, I'm not going to honor that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I've known church building programs where uh, it it was the right thing to do to build a building, but they just did it the world's way. And they lost a third of their members in the process and they got the job done. There's the building standing there, but a third of their people aren't coming anymore because it was done in such a callous worldly way that a third of the congregation was so offended. They they've got, they've left. And, I'd say, well, no, when you do God's work, God's way, well, then, then he is pleased to bless it. And so I see a lot of very discouraged, frustrated, confused pastors and church leaders. They they could have sworn they were doing the right thing. They just don't know why God didn't bless it. Mm-hmm. Why God, why didn't you provide the funding? Why didn't you give the power? Uh, why didn't you grow this and and make it successful? And he would say, because you, you did it in a way that was going to bring all the glory and honor to you. Uh, but not to me. And you violated things that are important to me. And yet you want me to bless that that effort. And I'm just not going to do it. And, and that that's a huge reason why I think you have to take time to learn the ways of God, because I don't want to waste my time doing stuff that God doesn't want to bless. That's exactly <laughs> I, right. I want to, I want to just be aligned with the way God wants it done. I, so I always tell people what you do matters, how you do it, and when you do it, you can also do the right thing too late or too early. And so when you, but when you get those three lined up uh, and I, I just, I, I've just, I could tell you story after story of people that I watch and I don't, I don't mean to say I watch everybody with a critical spirit, but I've, I've watched really well-intentioned people that were, were trying to do a good thing. But I mean, you watch them for five minutes and you realize, ah, boy, I tell you, you know, if you were just do it that way instead of this way, uh, I just know the people would be more responsive. I know God would be more pleased. They just don't, for some reason, they don't get it, that the way they're doing that, the way they're treating their people, their volunteers, the way they talk about themselves. I know they think they, they're trying to be humble, but that's that's not how, the way they're doing it is not coming across that way. And you realize, oh, you know, it. there could be so much more. God could bless so much more if only these people learned how to do things God's way. You know, it's such a great word because we have so many people that are listening that are at CEOs and they're principals of schools and athletic coaches. And I think it's very easy to go, well, I am a Christian who is in this world and we begin to make it. The enemy's a great counterfeiter, right? I mean, he right. he lets right. us make it about us and we miss the power. You said something really powerful in that section on holiness. You said being holy does not mean you're sinless or perfect. It does mean you take your sin seriously and you respect God enough to deal with your sin before you worship him. How long did it take you as a Christ follower to do that? And how different is it today doing that than it was when you first started in ministry years ago? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, it's a journey uh, because you, it was, you know, especially for people like me. I grew up going to church. I, I every Sunday I was there singing hymns and worshiping God, and I, I still remember as a young man um, singing the words of a song, and it suddenly dawned on me: Wait a minute, what am I saying here? I mean, mm. you know, like you're, you're singing a song about asking God to break you, uh, or <laughs> you know, uh, to shine His light upon me and expose my sin or something. And you, you stop and say, wait a minute, do I, do I, am I serious? Do I actually want that? And I've, 
I, I remember just stopping just mid mid sentence and thinking, I I've got to get my heart right before I can finish mm-hmm. singing this mm-hmm. song. Because I this I'm just lying saying these words because I don't I don't view God that way. And you know, if I've if I've been a, a jerk to my roommates all week in college and then I waltz into church and just sing about how I'm so glad God's always there for me. Uh, God would say, not right now. I'm not, <laughs> mm, mm. you, you, I'm not even looking at you right now. You've got blood on your hands and you're, you're, you're waltzing in here and think you can just worship me anytime you, in any way, any condition you please. And, and so I, I, I so even things like just the words I sing in church have become kind of a, uh, an audit for me. It's like, okay, can I sing that? Good. In, in integrity can i be a man of integrity and say those words right now you know whatever you i surrender all well <laughs> you know do i am, am i putting everything on the altar right now is, is that really describing my life or am i lying every time i say those words while i'm still holding on to sin in my life that i know full well god wants me to get rid of and so yeah the the taking your sin seriously it doesn't mean you're you never fall short because we all do but how do you respond to that? I mean, do you just blatantly walk in? Because I, you know, you and I both know there have been, you know, adulterers preaching on Sunday, yep. leading worship on Sunday, and meeting up with their their other, you know, their mistress or whatever later that day. It's like, how can you do that and have any sense of integrity at all unless it's just a show for you? And so I, so I, you know, even so, for all of us, I think we just need to keep saying, God. Um, because I think that's part of what church is supposed to be about is, uh, I mean, there, there have been times I've just been overwhelmed as I was worshiping with some of the words and uh, just felt like, God, I, I, I just need to do business with you right now before I even sing another word here. Well, that's taking holiness seriously. <laughs> that's, that's taking sin seriously. And I, and I, I, you know, I, I think that we should be doing more of that. I, in fact, I, you know, I, I've, I, as I preach, a lot of times we'll have altar calls, and there's times where I'll tell, I, I was somewhere not long ago, and I told the worship leader, "Look, I, I just want you to play something on the keyboard, and I want to make sure it's something that nobody knows the words to, mm. because I said the problem with a lot of folks is they'd rather sing than repent. Ooh, and buddy. there are people that they, after what they've heard, they just need to deal with God, but we'd far rather sing." Uh, and so let's not even let, let them do that. Let's, and I'll just tell them, I don't want you to sing right now. I want mm-hmm. you to respond in prayer, repentance, uh, to uh, contrition to the truth of God's word. You've just been exposed to, I, the, singing is not a substitute for repenting. And so, um, there's times where I think that's what church ought to be is where we, we approach the throne of a holy God and it just shine like Isaiah six, we're just it exposes us and but but there's hope of being made clean if we'll just come to the altar and let god do business with us you know it's so interesting you you go in the book and every chapter is just so rich i mean we could spend an hour literally it's probably what you're going to do in your podcast you could do an episode on every point mm-hmm. and and you and you juxtapose god's holiness god's ways are holy but the core of his being, God's ways are loving. Mm-hmm. What about that loving God makes you want to go to the altar 
and keep the sin out of your life from destroying your intimacy with him? What is it about him being loving, loving that draws Richard Blackaby in? Yeah, you know, and I and for me, I and I, I love the way those two go together. That's that's an eternal mystery, you know, mm-hmm. how to relate yeah. to someone who's perfectly loving but perfectly holy at the same time and does not he loves you, but he doesn't condone your sin. He he knows what your sin does, how it robs your relationship with him, it robs relationship with others, it causes you to settle for far less than what his love wants you to experience. Uh, but you know, I even just the fact that I when I think about the holiness of God, I it just means that I always know what to expect from him. I and and then I think of myself and I think, God, I mean, he he knows me, so he knows what to expect, but but I come so many different ways. Sometimes I'm just red hot for God and I'm just all in. And other times I'm distracted, bored, uh, full of myself. And it's like, God, I I I love you enough that you should get the same thing from me every time too. And uh and that means a, a holy, pure uh, repented, uh, heart and life. And, uh, and so I, you know, there's so many things about God, just the fact that he's always the same. He, he always loves me. That's never in question. Uh, but then I, you know, it's cause I've had, I've heard my dad say one time, he said, you know, I'm always hearing people say, I'm just so grateful that God's always there for me. And he said, but my question is, are you always there for him? Mm. Uh, and, we're not, you know, oftentimes we're not there for him, uh, but we're just grateful. He's always there. He's always consistent for us. And so I, that can break my heart. You know, there's a, it's a great pastor. I think like Jeremiah seven thirteen or so somewhere in there, uh, God says, you know, why, you know, I, I arose early. Why were you not there? You know, I came to meet you and you, you weren't there. And I've often thought about like my quiet times, you know, he's always there. He's always ready. I'm always grateful that every time I choose to get up early and meet with him, he's waiting for me. But, but there's times he's waiting for me and I decide to sleep in instead. And I'm just not there for him. What do you know now at your age about God's love that you just couldn't know? You you grew up in an amazing house. Your family is just a, an amazing family. You were taught about God's love from an early age. You've known it. You would have stood up in a pulpit at 20 years old and talked about God's love. What do you know now about God's love that's more real today that from, from life, from learning, from growth that you couldn't have known when you were 10 or 20 years old? Yeah. Well, you know, one thing would probably be that just God's love is very personal. You know, I, uh, Sometimes you just feel like, uh, oh, it's a sunshiny day today. You know, God, well, thank you, God. You you love me so much. You just put that sun up there. But, but you know, it's not really personal. It's just you're part of a universe. But um, but the, the more uh, that I walk with God, the more you notice even just the small things that God puts in your path or the people or the just the thoughts of God's word, that a truth that um, he speaks into your life. And uh, I... I guess the the more, the older I get, the more I notice God's love in the small things. Mm. Uh, You know, we're all know if God gives us a huge raise or uh, whatever, some spectacular thing that we're going to thank God for his love. But, um, but I've, I think I've just learned to appreciate it in a lot of the smaller things, the daily things that 
you you could easily miss that, you know. And I guess it, it kind of almost shamed me, I guess, in a sense, when I realized I've been passing right by all kinds of expressions of God's love and just hadn't even noticed, you know. I'm, I'm here. I'm feeling sorry for myself. And God would say, yeah. if you open your eyes, I put two dozen expressions of my love, particularly for you, and you hadn't even noticed any of them. You're so mm. absorbed right now, and you're for what, the one thing that you were wanting that's not even in my will that I haven't given you, <laughs> and you've missed all the others. Uh, and uh, you know, I think that's I, I've talked a lot even about just like grandkids. You know, I've I've, I've often said to my wife. I just don't remember noticing nearly as much about my own kids as I notice mm. about my grandkids. Why yeah, is that? Funny. And I, I think in part it's, you know, there's lots of reasons, I guess, but part of it is, as you get older, you just start to notice what matters. You, you start to see what's important. And, um, and those things were all there with my own kids. Uh, I just maybe was racing past a lot of that. I was so busy trying to get my career going or whatever then, but, uh, and I think it's the same with God. I think if you're, open to the love of God, you just start noticing it a lot more often and a lot more kind of places than you would have looked for it before. You tell the story in that chapter on Hosea and the yeah. love story that's written into Hosea. We unpack that a little bit and why it is so pr- profound to understanding God's ways are loving. Yeah. You know, that to me, that's just one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. And because it's, it, it, it's so shocking, you know, for God to say to Hosea, go marry uh, a woman that's basically a prostitute, or at least becomes one, is a loose living woman. Uh, for a, a righteous prophet, he would never have married a woman like that, uh, even with those tendencies. Uh, and But he opens his life, his home to her, uh, and then she just basically forsakes him and cheats on him and leaves him. And for God to turn around and say, now go, you know, now she's like basically a slave. She's spent herself and sold herself and has just completely, completely made all the worst possible decisions that she could make. And then for God to say, now go buy her back, pay your good money to 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 retrieve someone who's betrayed you at the, the most painful human level and and keep on loving her. And that's just absolutely shocking to us. But then what he says next is even more shocking because he says that's I just want you to know that's how I feel mm. every time my people love something else more than me after all I've done for them. And then they would just brazenly just go chase after any little worldly thing that offers them momentary pleasure or distraction. And, and that, you know, when you, when you meditate upon that, it begins to break your heart every time you let God down, every time you, you get more excited about, you know, a football game than you get about worshiping God. Uh, you, you were, you, you know, you, you, you love what you're going to buy with your money more than you love the God who gave you everything you have. Um, and there's just so many times where we, I, it just, it, it, when you, if you ever really get a handle on the fact that when you, um, let something else get in your heart, that's more important to you than God, that God sees it as spiritual adultery. If you've ever been on the, the, wrong end of adultery, which both ends are wrong, but if you've been the victim of it, your spouse has cheated on you and you've ever experienced just the horrific pain of that. Um, for God to say, that's how I feel when you don't reciprocate what the love I'm showing you. I'll tell you what, that I just break your heart every time you re- realize that you've just done that to him. Mm. 
you, one of the chapters, and we'll wrap with this today, you talk about God's faithfulness. Lamentations, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Why is the faithfulness of God such a bedrock to our journey with him? Yeah, well, you know, because I had never really thought about uh, this way before, but if mm-hmm. God wasn't faithful, I mean, you know, I, I think I said in the book, if he was holy most of the time, <laughs> if he was loving most of the time, you know, 80% of the time God was patient, <laughs> how could you How could you that's follow right. a God like that? Now, that's, that's right. kind of what the Greek gods were like. Yep. Greek gods, you didn't never know what Zeus was going to, what mood he was going to be in. Uh, but with God, it's like clockwork. You always know. he's Because he's he, he's not loving 99% of the time. Uh, he's he's loving 100% of the time. And that's what faithfulness is, that you, you know what to expect from him. And I'll tell you what, for those of us who've tried to be faithful ourselves, um, you know, I... Uh, you know how, I mean, we're human, we're not God, but but we know the price that you pay to to always be faithful, to, to always be kind, even when people are not being kind to you. If, you. if you're married and you've just made a commitment, regardless of how my spouse treats me, I'm going to always strive to be kind and patient and loving. And I'm going to, and you know, I, there's certain things, it, you know, I've been, we'll be married, my wife and I, 40 years this summer, and uh, there's lots of things she does for me that I I don't deserve and uh, that she's very kind about. But there's some things that just, I I tend to take the initiative. You were, if you were keeping score, uh, it would not be 50-50. I go both ways. But, but there are things I know full well that if it's going to get done, it's probably going to be me that takes initiative. Uh, and every time I do that, I, it's like God says, well, I, I, good for you because I want you to understand that's what I do with you all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm always the one taking the initiative. Uh, it's not a, you know, Richard, don't ever think that it's 50-50 between God and me. Um, he's always the one, but, but, but he's faithfully does the right thing over and over again. And um, I'm just so grateful for that. You, you start to think about what that means. Uh, and you think about how many times you've not been faithful yourself. Uh, and you just realize, thank you, God. I, that's my bedrock. If I didn't know what to expect from God uh, every day, I'll tell you what, life would be fear, fearful, would be uncertain. You you live in fear all the time. What if this is the 1% of the time when God's not loving? It happens That's to right. be when when I really need him to be right now. Uh, I you know, But to know, no, it's, he's been loving to me 10,000 times, and I know he's going to be loving 10,000 at one time when I need him next. And uh, that's so comforting. Uh, that consistency and and so you know if you uh, if you really truly are going to serve a God like that, then His ways have got to become your ways. Um, you and it doesn't matter if it you know I don't I, I don't know that God ever says well that's not fair. He just is faithful anyway, uh, and God doesn't tell us we'll be faithful as long as the other the people you're relating to are also that's right. Faithful. Uh, he just said, "That's no, that's not really being faithful. Then that's just reciprocal. I want, I want you to be faithful." And uh, so, yeah, I, all, all those areas of God, I there's they're supremely practical. And right. I think you know partly what I try to bring out just in the book is 
uh, it's it's great to just celebrate that God is that way. But every time I see something in God, that now becomes my invitation for it to become and to, to be in my life as well. You you did something in the chapter I thought was so good. You talked about not only is he faithful to his people, he's faithful to his promises and his pronouncements. Mm-hmm. What promise of God are you most thankful for? And why are you most thankful for it? Boy, uh, yeah, there's, um, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of those. I, I, uh, I was just recently back in the, the Great Commission there in Matthew. And, you know, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. He's saying, oh, go, you're, you're, my, you're my disciple, go make disciples. And then the very last thing he says, and lo, I'm with you always. Uh, even to the end of the age. And uh, I'll tell you what, that's, you know, it's interesting, by the way, Mike, because we always love that last verse. I, God's always with us. We we tend to neglect the fact that he, I mean, he is always with us, but he said that in the context of making disciples. Mm, mm. He, 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 didn't do, he didn't say that out of the blue. Hey, guys, just by the way, just so you know, I'll always be with you. He said, no, go into all the world and make disciples. And while you're doing that, I'm going to be with you always. Uh, mm. You'll you'll never be going out serving me, making disciples for me, and I and not have me with you. Um, we we sort of cut off the first yeah. part, and we just <laughs> like to just dis- so we we don't make any disciples. We don't go anywhere for him. We're just grateful he's always there with us. But but that promise comes in light of serving him and making disciples, and uh, and so you know as a servant of God you realize, you know what, as long as he's with me, that's enough. Mm. That's enough. And uh, I don't have to say, well, if I just had this as well, this support, this funding, these, this amount of people, this building, this recognition, I, and I, and I've, I've had to just deal with that before to say, if I didn't have any of this stuff, but I had Christ, uh, could I, could I honestly feel like that was enough? And I saw that with my dad when, you know, when he, when he went to Canada, that's all he pretty well all he had was uh, his family that was with him and Christ, and uh, didn't have any people, didn't have any money, didn't no one knew where he was, didn't didn't even if, if he told them they wouldn't have been able to find it on a map. Mm. Um, but but he proved that if you've got Jesus with you, you've got all you need, and um, so that's that's been a a promise. It, it seems very simple at one level and. And then you start unpacking it and saying, if I really, what more could I want from him than him? Then he, he doesn't just give you stuff. He gives you himself. Um, and after you've got him, what else do you need? Powerful, powerful stuff. Richard's ability to open scripture and interpret it, unpack it, and help journeyers like you and I understand the ways of God. I don't know what we would do without people like that. Thank you so much, Richard Blackaby, for making us better leaders, making us better Christ followers, and helping us as we on this side of heaven try to figure out the ways of God. And I think we'll be doing that till the day we leave this earth. Wow. 
Good, good stuff. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, go to iTunes and leave a rating or review. It helps us immensely get other listeners to the show and just know what it means that you took time to listen. Well, we, we got we got it ready to roll again next week. We've got my very, very, very good friend, Brian Dodd, coming back on, talking about his new book, Mighty, and the seven skills that you move need to move from pandemic to progress. It is a good one, and I think you're really going to enjoy Brian. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go be the leader that you were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put you, and I'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.